Good morning. I've got a question for you to start off, and I'm gonna, I brought this up just so I could, can make a sound, because it's, it's a two-part question. The first part is, and then, are you awake? Now, the reason I do that is uh, that's actually, back when I was in high school, uh, that wasn't a book, that was a door, but that's how my mom woke me up in the morning. Had to get ready for school. I was not a morning person. I liked to stay up too late, and then the mornings would suffer, and so I'd hear that knock at my door, and, are you awake? And apparently, I actually had this ability, though, that I had no idea that I had, but my mom would knock at the door, and she'd ask if I was awake, and I would respond, yep, I'm awake. Are you getting ready? Yeah, I'm getting ready. We'd have a whole conversation. I'd talk to her. She'd ask me questions to make sure that I was conscious and aware and up, and I would respond, and she would tell me about it later, and I would have no recollection. I would be 100% asleep the entire conversation and just responding out of some part of my subconscious mind decided that we're not ready to get up, so we're going to fool her. She's going to think we're awake, but we're going to keep sleeping. (laughs) And this was this plot that my subconscious brain had. Now, I wanted to get to school, and I wanted to wake up, but uh, apparently my body had other plans. I didn't even really know that I was doing this. And so then, you know, mom got wise, and, you know, she would, she did it so sweetly and lovingly, as only moms can do. She would make me a cup of tea, and open the door, and I'd have this lovely tea aroma wafting in my nostrils as I woke up. But really, she's like, okay, I need to see that he's awake. He needs to be downstairs before I'm committed to leaving the house and knowing he's getting ready. But that was, that was the routine, and uh, I've gotten a little better. I can actually get out of bed on my own most days now. Sometimes our, our cat wakes us up, and she decides it's time to wake up, and in about a month or so, there's going to be a little baby who will have a schedule all on his own, and he's going to decide when I'm allowed to sleep and when I'm allowed to be awake, and uh, that'll <laughs> the, the decision will be out of my hands once again. But for now, it's all on me, and I think I do okay most of the time. But I use that story as an illustration, and uh, not literally. I mean, I hope, I don't know, it's kind of hard to see sometimes, and if you're in the right pocket of darkness and the light is hitting my eyes, I actually may not be able to tell if you're literally sleeping. Hopefully you're not, though. Hopefully you're awake. Hopefully your mind is present and not just the body. But uh, I ask if you're awake because I think that sometimes in life we can be sleepwalking without even really knowing it, that we can just kind of be going through the motions and our mind has checked out. And you know, Pastor Nick talked about this a couple weeks ago in reference to the Word, but I felt like it really was a great point that applied to a lot of aspects of life. And what he said was sometimes, you know, things happen in life, and for whatever reason, you take a break. And he was using it in reference to reading God's Word, and absolutely, I know where that's happened in my life, where, you know, the habit has fallen off, and, you know, and, and then what happens, though, is you think like, okay, well, I'm going to take today off, or I'm going to take this week off, or this month off even, and it can sometimes just stretch on and on and on. And this little break can actually very subtly become a lifestyle. And you may think you're awake, but really, 
if you were to really sit down and look at it and analyze things, you would realize, I'm not awake. I'm just going through the motions. I'm sleepwalking. And, you know, another way I think to phrase that is that you can go through life without being alive. You can live however many years God gives you on this planet and not truly live the way that God intends you to live. And if there's one thing that I want you to contemplate and and wrestle with when you leave this morning, it's that point that you can go through life without being alive. And hopefully we're going to address that. Hopefully we're going to learn through the scriptures this morning and discover some ways that if that is you, if you say, you know, if you realize that, you know, that is me where I've just kind of let things drift. I've been sleepwalking and I've gone from this state of living to asleep to virtually dead and and that's happened. We're going to hopefully through God's word and his amazing power, his presence, we're going to speak life back into you this morning. Um, But the story that I'm reminded of as I think of this whole, you know, sleeping, death, awake, all of this stuff is the story of Lazarus. And it's in John chapter 11. And if you got your Bible, you can turn there with me. Or if you got your digital Bible, you can open up on your phone. Um, We've got it on the screen though. And uh, I'll read it for you. If you don't have a Bible here, you can just follow along. So the first part of the story is in John 11 uh, verse 6. And uh, the preamble to this is basically Jesus had been ministering and then a bunch of people tried to kill him and he kind of left that region and was, you know, just to stay alive because it wasn't his time to go yet. And, uh, and then he gets this news that his friend Lazarus, uh, uh, you know, not a disciple in the way that we would say the 12 disciples, but really someone who had been ministered to by Jesus had picked up on these teachings and was kind of following along with Jesus and a friend at the end of the day, he's sick and they're sending word, Jesus, come back. Lazarus is sick. And you know, if you don't come, he's going to die. And so Jesus gets this news and it says, when he heard that he was sick, he then stayed two days longer in the place that he was. It's interesting. He delays. Then after these extra two days, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and are you going there again? They're like, Jesus, you may have forgotten. I know this was a whole several days ago, and so, you know, we'll forgive your memory because, you know, but like, they tried to stone you last time you were there. Are you sure you want to go back? And that could be a whole other sermon, but, you know, I wonder if there are those times where we think, okay, Jesus, I hear what you're saying but I'm a little wiser than you and you're not getting the context and you're not understanding all the variables and factors and that's a dangerous trap to fall into. But Jesus answers and says, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. This he said, and after he said that to them, he says, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep But I go so that I may awaken him out of sleep. The disciples then said to him, again, very wise, very smart, very perceptive disciples. They say, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he will recover. He's going to be fine. Like, why would you help someone who's sleeping? You're not an alarm clock, Jesus. So Jesus, he's now, Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought he was speaking of literal sleep. 
So Jesus then said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead. He's being figurative. And I'm glad for your sakes that I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. And therefore, Thomas, who is called Didymus, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go so that we may die with him. It's an interesting attitude, you know. Well, we know we're going to die. We know we shouldn't do this, but okay, let's just go with Jesus and we'll all die together. <laughs> I kind of like that. Um, he was wrong, but, you know, at least he had made the decision that he was going to follow Jesus, even if he was sure it meant his death. But, you know, like I, like I alluded to earlier, it doesn't take long to go from sleeping to death. You know, Jesus took a little longer than Lazarus would have liked. He took a little longer than Lazarus family would have liked. They sent the word. They thought, you know, this is, Lazarus is a, a good friend of Jesus. Jesus loves him. Jesus is going to be there for him. He's going to come. And Jesus delays. And later on, Jesus says he's actually glad that this horrible thing had happened because it would provoke faith in the disciples. And as we'll see later on, it provokes faith, faith in other people. But, you know, sometimes the plans just go off the rails. And, you know, we think, okay, Jesus is going to do this. And then it happens differently than we expected. And we can lose heart and we can lose hope. And, you know, some of this stuff that happens, like I look at Lazarus and I don't know too much about him and the way that he lived his life, but based on the connection he had to Jesus, the love that Jesus clearly had for him and the, the love he had for Jesus, his family members who were, you know, passionate followers of Jesus, I think, you know what, he was probably doing a number of things right in his life. And, you know, I mean, there are ways that you can make yourself sick, but a lot of times, particularly in that day, you just got sick, just, you know, luck of the draw, just life happening. It wasn't Lazarus' fault. But the thing is that it doesn't have to be your fault for it to rob you of life, to rob you of joy, to rob you of fulfillment. And, you know, obviously I'm not talking about literal sickness and death this morning. I think there's something that happens in our spirits where we wind up sleepwalking, where we wind up going through life not truly living. And, you know, we're going to get into it and get messy in a second here, but, you know, some of you are going to have this question in your mind, like, or this, this statement in your mind, like, do you know what I went through? Do you know what happened? Like, look, Luke, I hear what you're saying, but it wasn't my fault. You don't understand the backstory. And to be honest, I don't know your entire story. No one knows it aside from God. No one knows it like you do. But the point is that regardless of whether you had any fault whatsoever, you could be blameless in the situation. But the thing is that there's stuff that wants to sneak into your life through no fault of your own that still will rob you of your life, will rob you of that joy, rob you of that fulfillment. And Jesus, he was actually teaching in chapter 10 when they tried to stone him, tried to kill him, you know, one chapter before our story. And Jesus talks about this thief. In John 10, 10, I want to read that verse to you. It says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. See, what that says to me is not, you know, you make mistakes and so, you know, you die and you're destroyed and all of this. And I mean, there's a reality of sin and consequences and all of that. 
But there is a thief. Jesus warned us that there is a thief who wants to steal from you, wants to kill, wants to destroy, but Jesus wants you to have an abundant life. So let's pick up the story again in John chapter 11 and uh, in verse 32 now, and now Jesus is with the family of Lazarus. Lazarus has passed away. He's been dead for four days now, and Jesus is with Mary and says in verse 32, therefore, when Mary came where Jesus was, she saw him and fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. I don't know if you've ever felt like that, but you're just like, Jesus, why? Why did this thing happen to me if only, God, you had intervened. I wouldn't be where I am now. If only you had done something, Lord, I wouldn't be carrying this weight, this pain in my heart. If only you'd showed up, if only things had gone differently, then I wouldn't be in this state that I'm in now. And I love the way Jesus responds. And my prayer every day is that I can be more like Jesus because this is so beautiful. Verse 33, we see Jesus It says, when Jesus therefore saw her weeping, and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and was troubled. I think that's so beautiful. He was troubled. His spirit was moved. He didn't chastise her. He didn't deflect. He didn't explain. He didn't, and I'm sure he had good reasons, him being God. Obviously, there was a reason that he did things the way he did, but he didn't get into, listen, Mary, you need to under, no, he was troubled. He was moved in his spirit. Something emotional happened because of this compassion that was in his heart. Jesus is compassionate. And I just feel him saying to you, yeah, it is a horrible situation. Yeah, it does hurt what you went through. Yeah, it's not your fault. I get that. He's moved with compassion. There's more. Carry on. In verse 34, he says, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see, because Jesus wanted to address the situation. Then in verse 35, Jesus wept. Shortest verse in the Bible, one of the most beautiful. I just think it's so amazing. Again, that beautiful, tender heart of Jesus, that compassion. I want to linger here for a minute, because I think there are things in our lives that cause Jesus to weep. And if you're listening to my voice right now, you're not literally dead, but there are things that maybe happen where you feel dead inside. And, you know, some of that could be relational, whether it's with family members or with friends, things that have happened, situations where you've been wronged, you've been betrayed, you've been hurt, someone has done damage in your life. I was preparing this message, though, I really felt God wanted to address those of you who have been hurt by the church. That's a horrible, horrible thing for me to even think of as I stand up here on this platform and in some way kind of represent the church this morning. Because this church is supposed to be the hands and the feet of that Jesus, the Jesus who wept with compassion at this situation. And yet I know that there are people hurting because of things that have happened, whether recently or in your childhood, because of the church. Whatever church that was, wherever that was, whenever that was, I'm not ignorant to the fact that that stuff happens and that hurts and that lingers. 
And that puts up walls because that pain is so real and it is so difficult that you're afraid to let that wall down. You're afraid to open up again. You're afraid to, to go deep because you can't handle feeling that pain again in your life. And I get that. I understand that. I, and my heart goes out to you. And I want to be really real and really honest this morning is it's not just the church that hurts people. It would be very easy for me to say, you know, those of you who grew up in some other background, who went to other churches, you were in some other city, some other country maybe, some other generation. But here's the thing. I'm not ignorant. I know that there are people who have been hurt by this church. And that's an awkward, painful subject to broach because it just pulls up all these emotions. I feel in my spirit deeply troubled. In some way, I identify with Jesus a couple verses ago where he was moved, where he was troubled, where he was upset, where something was going on, where he just, he saw it and he, it, it caused this reaction. And I feel this thing that I don't know what to do with. But I know that ignoring it is not going to fix it. I know that we can't just pretend away those hurts. I know we can't bury them down so deep that they'll never come up. I know that that doesn't work. And so we've got to look at it and we've got to be real. And, and as a board member and as a part of the preaching team, I want to say to you this morning, if you have been hurt in some way by this church, by the harbor, first off, I just want to say that I am so, so sorry that that happened to you. That is a terrible thing to have happen. And that breaks my heart. That hurts me because that is the last thing that this church wants to be known for and should be known for. And, you know, I, I love this church. I believe in this church. And I want to say we've got amazing volunteers. We have an amazing staff. The board members that I serve with are wonderful people. And, and all of us, I believe, have a passion for Jesus, a love for this church, a desire to be a real community and a real family, that we want to be loving and understanding with one another. And I believe that the people who are a part of this church have wonderful, good intentions. But here's the thing. We're people. We mess up. We make mistakes. We don't always get it right. And so for those situations where we somehow got it wrong, where somehow perspectives clashed or somehow we weren't sensitive when we should have been or somehow we didn't realize what was going on underneath the surface, we didn't know the full extent of the situation and what was being felt and what was being thought, I am sorry. And we try to learn from our mistakes and we try to do the best that we can, but you know the really painful thing for me to admit this morning we're going to mess up again. I'm going to mess up again because I'm human. I'm not perfect. You can ask my wife. She'll tell you I am far from perfect. I make mistakes. And my heart is that you would be loved and you would be encouraged and you would be built up as you attend this place. But I got to ask for grace as we grow together and as we learn together and as we endeavor to become more like Jesus together. We're going to need a little bit of grace because we're going to make mistakes. But know that our heart is one of love. We desire to have that relationship. We desire to walk with you. And we want to know the pain. And we want to be there beside you. And we want to do what we can to help. But if we have caused that pain, we're sorry. 
carrying on back to our story here. So the Jews were saying, see how he loved him. Some of them said, could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man also from dying? So Jesus, again, he's deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone was lying against it. Jesus said, remove the stone. Martha, the sister of the deceased, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be a stench for he has been dead four days. I want to stay there on that verse for a minute. Because there are times, you know, I mentioned it before, you build up that wall, you put a stone over the tomb because there's a stench building up in there where that damage, where that hurt is. It's painful to address. You don't want to go there because it hurts too much. Even looking at that pain in your heart, even thinking about that pain, it's still too real, it's still too raw. You don't want to roll the stone away. But I'm telling you, I believe in my heart that Jesus is standing in front of that tomb in your heart, whatever that looks like, whatever situation, whatever hurt, whatever story that is, Jesus is standing there and he's saying to you, just like he said to Mary, to roll the stone away. He knows it's smelly. He knows it's messy. He knows that it's not an ideal situation. He knows that there's some ugliness that's going to come up as he tries to, to walk you through that and as he heals you. But if you don't roll the stone away, then he can't minister to that brokenness. So Jesus said to her, did, not, did I not say to you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they removed the stone. And then Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but because of the people standing around, I said it so that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And the man who had died came forth, bound hand and foot with wrappings, and his face was wrapped around with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. And therefore, many of the Jews who came to Mary and saw what he had done believed in him. I believe that that is the Jesus who is standing at the door to your heart this morning. He's standing there on the precipice of that hurt. He is standing in front of that brokenness you're carrying. He's standing in front of whatever happened to you, whether it was yesterday or whether it was decades ago. He stands there and he wants to address it. He wants to call you out of that pain and back to life. Because like I said earlier, the thing is you can go the rest of your days on this earth without being alive. You can go through your entire life without truly being alive. Jesus is standing there. And he's looking at you this morning. And I want to go back to that verse where, uh, on the next slide, where Jesus is calling to Lazarus. Because what I want to do is I, instead of Lazarus, I want to put in a blank. And for me, I look at that and I say, Jesus is calling out, Luke, come forth. I want you to put your own name in there. You know, Jesus is calling out Marley, come forth. Jesus is calling out John, come forth. Jesus is calling out Matt, come forth. Whatever your name is, just put it in there for me this morning because Jesus is saying, he's calling to you, come forth. 
my child, come forth. Come out of the death. Come out of the brokenness. Come out of the pain. Wake up, oh you sleeper. Come alive this morning. He is calling to you to live again. He's calling you back to life. Will you answer that call back to life? That's the question. Will you answer him? Will you respond? Because there's a part on you. You're lying in that tomb. You've got to get up. You've got to walk out of the tomb. Now take the grave clothes off and all of that. You've got to get up. You've got to respond for that miracle to happen. The question is, will you respond? Will you respond to that call this morning? Will you say yes to him? It's up to you how you're going to respond. It's up to you what you do with that call. Jesus will give you abundant life. You've got to respond. We're going to sing a song here because I, I really want to meditate on this for a minute. I want to reflect on this for a minute. What I mean by that is I want you just the quietness of this moment as we sing and worship. You can sing along if you want. We're going to have the words on the screen here, but if you don't feel the sing, you know, I'd almost say don't sing because what I really want you to do is I want you to think. I want you to look at that situation and I want you to hear Holy Spirit calling to you this morning because we serve a God who's not dead, who wrote a book a couple thousand years ago. It's not just some old story. It's not just some wise principles on how to live. I believe, we as a church believe that God is alive and that he is here this morning and that he wants to meet with you. And I believe if you'll give him a moment here, that he will speak directly into your heart and he'll start healing some of those hurts and he wants to bring you back to life. And so I'm going to turn it over to Ashley and we're going to sing this song together. But really, as we do, really reflect on what God is trying to do in your life this morning. And then we're going to bring it back to, to the the message and some practical application, but I really don't want to rush this moment of letting God touch your heart in a real, tangible, practical way this morning. Jesus, I pray that you would do that this morning, that you would raise the broken to life, that as we sit here, hearts open, the stone rolled away, vulnerable, that you would address that brokenness and raise us back to life, Jesus, like only you can do. We are so grateful for such a wonderful Savior that you laid your life down for broken messes like us, that you saw us, that you saw this brokenness, and you said, they're worth it. They're worth everything. They're worth paying the price on the cross that I will go and gladly suffer for them so that they can be raised to life. Jesus, we are so grateful for that amazing sacrifice. And Lord, I don't know what people are carrying this morning. I don't know what situations have gone on in their lives. I don't know what happened to cause hurt. But I know they're hurting, God. And I know you see them with compassion. I know that, Jesus, that you weep alongside them. 
that you are not some on-moving stone of a God. You are a God with a tender, compassionate heart. And you see that brokenness and you hurt as they hurt. I know your heart breaks for them, God. So Lord, I know that you know that pain, even if we don't know what's going on. I just pray that you would minister to those areas, God. That you would bring those things back to life. That you would bring healing to the brokenhearted this morning. In Jesus' name. Amen. Just a couple things I want to leave you with before we close here. It's kind of the what now. I believe first and foremost that the ministry of Jesus Christ is the biggest what now because this is a heart issue this morning. You know, there's there's stuff you can do. I mean, there's a, a counselor that we have who comes on site uh, by Peaceful Waters. Uh, if you want to get connected with them, if there's some real deep stuff that you need help with, because heart issues don't necessarily get fixed just like that in a, in a day. I believe God does miracles. I believe Jesus is doing miracles in people's hearts today. But there might be deeper stuff you want to get into, and, and there's different options for that. But I think there's a couple what nows that we can address this morning in a, a very simple way. And the first one is if you've been hurt, you've been let down, if you've carried that brokenness. And as I said before, I'm sorry that that happened to you. But I believe God wants you to be able to move forward from that. And so there's a few things that you need to do. You need to choose to forgive. It doesn't mean that the other person wasn't wrong for what they did. It doesn't mean that you had fault in the situation. It, it doesn't mean that they're suddenly off the hook, but it means that you're just trusting God to deal with them, that they'll sort stuff out between them and God one way or another, and you're letting that hold that that pain has on your heart go. You're choosing to let go of it. Because if you keep holding on tightly to it, if you keep wanting to hold them accountable and, and wanting to to place the blame on them and, and, and letting it have that focus in your life, you'll become so focused on that pain and that hurt and what they did and, and how they wronged you and, and how that's had this impact on your life, which is all real. I, I'm not brushing that aside. But that can steal your life if you become so focused on that. At some point, you've got to be able to let it go so that you can choose to move forward. And moving forward can look like a lot of different things. And again, I, I'm not going to deign to counsel you this morning because this is a, you know, one-to-many format and I don't know what's going on and I'm not a certified counselor. I, I can't really do that for you anyway. But I know that you need to move forward one way or another and there are certain situations where, you know, there's relationships that you just need to move forward from, that you need to move beyond, where that other person is, you know, they're, they're not repentant, they're not changing, they're just looking to hurt you in one way or another and you need to move forward away from them. There are times where people just need grace and they've made mistakes and they need you to move forward with them. I'll trust Holy Spirit to help you figure out what that is, that situation. But one way or another, you need to move forward from it. You need to move on and you need to live again. The second application, have you hurt someone else? And maybe you don't know it. Or maybe you don't think again that 
maybe you don't think you're to blame. Think, oh, that person's just too sensitive. Oh, they, they got the wrong perception. Oh, they misunderstood what I meant. Oh, my heart was in the right place. Oh, you know, they took it out of context. Or, you know, oh, that person's just dramatic. And you're deflecting. You don't want to take any blame. You know, this counseling that uh, I've been through with my wife that I thought put it so beautifully that you need to take your 1%. If there's 100% of the blame to go around, sometimes it's 50-50, sometimes it's 70-30. Maybe it's just 1%. Maybe you did 1% of the wrong and the other person, their perception is, accounts for the rest. But why don't you take that 1% this morning? Shoulder a little bit of the blame. Be like Christ who went to a cross for stuff he didn't do. He was perfect. But he said, you know what? I'll take the punishment. I'll suffer. Because there's life that I see that is worth suffering for. And so whether you feel that you ought to or not, maybe you need to apologize. Maybe you need to ask forgiveness. And as you do that, make sure you walk in humility and in love. If you come to them and say, I'm sorry you feel that way, but you need to get over it and you need to toughen up, you're just going to do more hurt. Ask God to give you humility and love as you have those conversations. Because here's the thing, just like with Lazarus, it wasn't just about Jesus and Lazarus and, and that life happening there. It was about this greater ministry where people saw the ministry of Jesus Christ and they were propelled into faith by what they saw. And I believe that your story, whichever side you're on, if you're on the side of carrying pain or if you're on the side of needing to ask forgiveness and apologize for pains you've caused, either way, Jesus wants to take that story and propel people into faith and into abundant life through it. So ask God to walk you through that process, whatever it looks like. I want to pray just one more time for you then we're going to close. So God, thank you for your amazing love for us. Thank you that you desire the best for our lives. Thank you, God, that you want to take our story and our testimony and use it to draw other people closer to you. God, I pray that this morning you would give us grace. You would give us humility. You would give us your love, God as we walk through these things. Whichever side of a disagreement, whichever side of the pain, whichever side of the hurt we're on, God, we need your love. We need to walk with your grace. We need to be humble, God. And so I pray that you would empower us to do that. And God, I pray that you would give us boldness to have these conversations because it's not easy because it's going to be messy because stuff is going to come up it's not going to be simple it's not going to be quick but God give us the boldness to address those hurts so that your healing can flow I ask that you would bless every member of this congregation everyone who's here everyone who's watching online God, I just pray that you would bless them, that you would be with them, that they would sense your presence every minute of every day through the rest of their week. Just go with them, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you again for joining us this morning. It has been a blessing to have you here. I pray that you've been encouraged. I pray that there's some healing flowing in your hearts this morning.
I pray that you would start to come truly alive and walk in everything that God has for you. If you're watching online, thank you for joining us. We bless you. Have a great week. If you're here in person, just stay in your seats. The ushers are going to dismiss you, and they'll guide you out starting at the back first. And why don't we just sing that song one more time so people go. God bless you.